Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the fourth Sunday of Easter, Year C. During this Easter season, we are celebrating the vic- victory, uh, victory, excuse me, the victory and the victorious nature of our Savior, risen from the dead. And we are celebrating not only his victory, but ours too, because since we are connected to him by baptism, his victory is our victory and his life is our life. So we get to live out the new lives that Jesus, our risen Savior, has given to us. The theme of the day for this fourth Sunday of the Easter season in year C is Fulfilled Works March Victorious Over Empty Words. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. With me today, Pastor Paul Zell of Living Savior Lutheran Church in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Also, Pastor Caleb Kerbis, who serves Living Savior's other campus in Asheville, North Carolina. And joining us today is Pastor James Tiefel, who serves the dual parish of Trinity and St. John's, both in Mequon, Wisconsin. Pastor Tiefel, we know him also as Professor Tiefel. He taught worship and homiletics for many years at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Caleb, I'll start with you. Uh, the fourth Sunday of Easter is the familiar Good Shepherd Sunday, but the theme we're talking about this week is fulfilled works march victorious over empty words. Can you explain for us uh, why that theme emerges from these readings for Good Shepherd Sunday? Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, the idea that these works are fulfilled is not just that they that they were promised ahead of time, but that they also give us a type of substance in comparison to the the empty words of the world's promises or whatever the world might try to deliver, which is never going to be enough. And so, you, you see that played out from what Paul is saying to the people um, in in Acts and what John sees, and then ultimately uh, Jesus' answer to the the presuppositional question that um, these people are trying to trap him with. All of, it's, all of it is um, our victory, which stands with Easter's proof um, that all of Jesus' miracles and his redemptive deeds are the works themselves that, um, that deliver everything that we need for, for life and for eternity. So that's why um, the, the world vies for our attention, promises so much, but it is less than little in comparison to what our good shepherd not only gives us with his words, but followed and continues to follow through with his, with his works. Great. Thank you. So the, the words of our Savior backed up by his works. Uh, Paul, could you uh, walk us through the other scripture readings for today and uh, point out maybe some of the connections between the Good Shepherd Gospel and the first and second readings? Yeah, gladly. Um, Start with the first reading this time. It's Acts 13, verses 15 and 16, kind of give the setting, a little bit of it at least, and then 26 to 39. Um, The book of Acts is often called, it's like a sermon series with some events in between, a series of sermons, and this is one of the great ones. The Apostle Paul is at Pisidian Antioch. Um, One of the comments that he makes as he speaks in their synagogue is, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Uh, And then what Paul goes on to explain is, yep, they, they carried out what was written about him, fulfilled scripture. They, 
they they killed him and laid him in a tomb but here's here's this great work that god did in his son he, he raised him from the dead uh, that gets mentioned um two or three times including the fact that yeah he, he was buried but his body did not see decay um, the connection of him with the father is, is established as Paul speaks of, of, of second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father, which of course is proven, especially when he, when he raised him from the dead. So that's the first reading. The second reading is one of the favorite passages of pretty much all of us in Revelation chapter 7, the the uh, saints wearing white robes gathered around the throne of the Lamb, um, singing his praises. They've come from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Um, and they're praising him uh, because he made them, they've been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Um, the, the, the aspect of the eternal life that he gives is stated real boldly in the at the end of their, their statements of praise. Uh, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. Uh, the lamb at the center of the throne will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the eternal joy of the saints is expressed in this beautiful so song of praise um, to, the, to the lamb who has become their shepherd. And then the, the gospel of the day, which, of course, establishes the, the Sunday, and it's also the sermon text that we're going to focus on, John chapter 10. It's, at, it's the last of all three different um, Good Shepherd Sunday texts, uh, year C, John 10, 22 to 30, um, the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem during the Feast of Dedication, challenged Jesus, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And, and he responds by mentioning his father's work, the, the works he's done in his father's name, and then saying, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. And then these great deeds of Christ, his works, I give them eternal life and, and they shall never perish. Great. Yeah. So Jesus pointing people to his words and uh, following that up with uh, the evidence of his works too. And we'll get into that more right now. Um, Jim, let's turn to you for a deeper dive into the sermon text, John 10, 22 to 30. Um, as Paul mentioned, this is one of the John 10 texts uh, that uh, are common to Easter 4, so uh, year A, B, and C each take a reading from John 10. Maybe along the way as you're talking about this text, uh, if you want to touch on what makes this unique um, or what are the distinguishing characteristics of this reading versus the other year's readings, and then lead us into the, the main point of this reading also, verses 22 to 30. So Jim, I'll turn it over to you. This, um, these texts from John were almost always one of the texts that were assigned to juniors for their second sermon. And one of the things that I always had trouble convincing them of was that the words of Jesus in John 10 are addressed 
to his enemies. Um, and so I, 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 what I did was I started with chapter 7, verse 14, and I read that whole section that um, covers the time that he was in Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles until he went back to Galilee after verse, verse 21. To give me a sense of the drama that's building between the Pharisees and Jesus. Then, of course, Jesus comes back again. And um, he comes back again and um, for Hanukkah. And then they, they're right at it again. And I thought that it was kind of interesting that they surrounded him. Um, it's my secretary calling me. <laughs> I'm going to have to put her off. Um, they surrounded him and they were they were looking they were looking to corner him so then they they put it to him are you the christ and then you could almost hear the frustration in jesus voice i did tell you um and then the works i do in my father's name testify about me you saw all of this stuff but you would not believe it and, and that, that seemed to be important to me as I started thinking about this text. Well, then, then I went back and I tried to find what I thought were the main emphases in the other John selections in 1 to 10 and in um, 11 to 18. So it just seemed to me that the, the proposal of the John 1 to 10 text in year A was that um, Jesus wants to point himself as out to be the shepherd or the gate, the way to life with God. Then in year B, in 11 to 18, he wants to point out especially that he laid down his life for the sheep. The phrase, listening to the Savior's voice, is in all three of the selections. But I thought that it would, had a different sense in the last of the selections than it did in the first two. So my sense was that the last selection, which takes place at least two months after the first two, was that the text is proposing that faith in Jesus is what gains the blessings of the good shepherd. And I just kind of felt that the contrast that I'm seeing is between these Jews who saw the works of Jesus but would not listen to his words and would not believe. That's one of the contrasts. And the other part of the contrast is the believers who did listen to his words and who did believe. That, that seemed to be important as I started looking at this text. And then the, the additional context, contrast, I think, is between these unbelieving Jews who are not going to receive what the believers are absolutely certain to receive. As he points out to them, this is what you're missing. And, and what you're missing is absolutely guaranteed because not only do I stand behind it, but also my Father in heaven stands behind it. So I guess... The two points that I wanted that I want to identify here is are first of all to identify the danger of approaching Jesus 
with presuppositions, which is what the Jews did. They, they refused to acknowledge that he was the Christ that God had promised. Their concept of Christ was totally different. And, and, and interestingly, Jesus doesn't say that he's the Christ. Um, and the second thing that I, 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 I think that you can do that in a number of different ways. I think you can point out contextually how the Jews rejected him and why they rejected him. I think that there's a warning here to Christians about how they approach Jesus and how they look to Jesus. And then I think that there's an, there's an encouragement here. I think of Mark 10, 15, for example, um, that how, how the kingdom of God is made up of, of children who approach Jesus with childlike faith, or 1 Peter 2, um, desire the sincere milk of the word. Um, to encourage believers to listen to Jesus with open hearts and with humble hearts. I don't think you have to stumble into decision theology in order to make that point. And then in the second part of the sermon, which is probably the easy part, and that is to simply identify the blessings that Jesus promises to those who follow him, and then the security that we have, because both he and his father, who are one, that they, um, that they stand behind the promise of those blessings. So that's kind of where I came down on getting ready to preach this on Sunday. Great. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, maybe we could uh, open it up to Paul and Caleb here um, for a response to that in general, or uh, in particular, maybe we could think first about the, uh, some of the malady thoughts that are there. Um, Jim pointed out approaching Jesus with presuppositions as one, um, and a couple other shades of that too. So, Paul and Caleb, you want to comment on on that section as we kind of identify um, the the sin pointed out in this text or suggested in this text? Uh, Caleb, how do we go first to you? Sure. Um, the it might be important to ask in. in Jim, you highlighted this. So as they're approaching Jesus, this they have this presupposition. What, what is that? Um, tell us plainly, and then to plainly say, if Jesus would have plainly proven, fill in the blank, and whether it's cultural, secular, political, um, what you know, what they have followed is, what, however, people might want to answer that is beside the point. But that's what they were looking for. That's what that highlights. Um, it doesn't take me a, a long ways at all to then turn the question around to say what. What is the pretense? If Jesus would just plainly fill in the blank, um, the, the way that we approach, you used that word before, and I, I think that's really helpful because it opens up a, a wide variety of options to, to identify. There's a number of ways, a number of things that I want Jesus to plainly do or be for me, but finally at the end of the day, are they rooted in the one thing that he has already proven that he is and proven that he has done for me? Um, so it, it kind of points to the heart of the matter, which is the problem of even having a pretense to begin with as, as I approach my Savior. If, and it, it easily happens, um, whether in health or finances or whatever it is, whatever examples or applications one might want to use in preaching, um, the, the pretense, looking for Jesus to just plainly prove, fill in the blank. Um, that can easily creep in and just, just as it did with the Jews in Jesus' day. So if that's then the malady, 
um, then the important question is, what, what is the cure for that? Uh, first of all, that the works that Jesus provides or has already proven, um, they are greater than whatever it is that I'm already looking for. It's ironic that the pretense or the presupposition is only rooted in life, temporary, worldly matters. And what Jesus provides in the cure is eternal life. Um, and this, that's the one unique thing, maybe, as you pointed out, some of the, the variations in these three John texts. This is the first time that he's said eternal life. Um, and so the, in this chapter, that is, but the, that he gives us something that's far greater than what we are even approaching him for if that makes sense. Yeah, Jim, to that. Let's address that before. I'm sure Paul will address it too. I, I'm not always convinced that the cure has to be an absolute gospel cure. So for instance, if the malady is um, not being willing to accept Jesus on his own terms or approaching Jesus without it with a, with a presupposition the the solution to that is the simple, the simple faith that jesus works in my heart is the faith that sees him as savior and sees him as shepherd and the warning then is don't let the devil or let temptation jump you away from that except listen humbly to what Jesus has to say and accept what he says. Yeah, the, the malady and then the flip side of that. Um, Paul, uh, would you like to comment on that? I don't know if this is any different or not, just a different way to state the same thing. Maybe uh, Jim talked and Caleb too about presuppositions uh, that with which we may be approaching the Lord um, I, another way to put it might be just the, the, the different voices that we hear, <laughs> kind of the question, whom, whom am I listening to this week, um, that tells me, you know, everything will be all right if, if, if this happens. Uh, either the Lord does this or somebody else carries out what, what they promise to do. So there's, there's, there's all these, these voices that promise great things. And of course, end up it's there's a deception somehow, uh, even a, a destruction that comes about with them. Jesus counters that. My sheep listen to my voice, and he, yeah, he he compels that by what he does, which of course is what he also gives us. Um, the the contrast then between and the the different voices could be from without. Uh, so when Caleb and I talked about this earlier, we talked about the, the various things that people, the voices they hear in, in, in social media, mainstream media, what, whatever, uh, political, this is Feast of Dedication, which would have been a, a pretty, pretty, lots of political discussions going on in Jerusalem as they're remembering the good old days when the temple was rededicated. Um, so the, the voices that people hear, which often make, are, are ultimately very disappointing to them, even make them angry. Um, but then the voice of the Lord who says, here's what I, here's what I and the Father have done. Here's what, 
here's what we here's what we give. Just kind of another thought. Jim talked about we 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 have a vicar, so we talk about malady and cure, and the when we when we talk with him about the cure and Jim, maybe we can bounce this off you too. Is we're we're looking that somehow the cure ultimately has to come from God, so so that you don't go from law to law. Like I don't do this. In other words, I don't I don't listen to Jesus' voice. You better listen to him. That that the law just cures the that that doesn't really cure anything but that the cure is something that the lord does and has done and then of course the the outcome is yeah this is of course i want to listen to that to that voice mm-hmm. yeah to that point jim yeah I, I i probably didn't come off exactly the way i wanted to say it but for instance if i want to talk about that believers listen to the Savior's voice as opposed to these Pharisees who refuse to listen to the Savior's voice. I can't get myself into a decision theology situation. Mm -hmm. So what I need to do is I need to start with the fact that when we were little children or at a certain point in time in our lives, the Holy Spirit led us to put our faith in Jesus. When we first came to faith, it was a simple faith. It was an unasking faith. It was an implicit faith. As we grew up as children or as we matured as adult Christians, we, we simply continued to hear what Jesus said and we accepted it. You, you think about the eager adult confirmand who is just like a sponge and ready to listen to everything Jesus has to say. What you got to watch out, I mean, that's what a lot of these Jews were when they were little kids too. What you got to watch out for is, is to start thinking you're smarter than Jesus or that you have better plans than Jesus or that you're simply not going to be satisfied with the simple truths that he tells you. So I guess for me, the, the, if, if we want to talk cure from a junior homiletics perspective, it would be that this is a faith that Jesus gave you so that now you listen to him. And then I would take it. Now listen to him. It's, it's third use of the law. It's encouragement, gospel, gospel admonition. Sure, or we could turn I it, yeah. That, I agree that it has to be, it has to be centered in, in gospel someplace, but I don't think that it necessarily has to be centered in Versus 29 to 30. Okay, right, right. Yeah, and then uh, we could throw in the term virtue there too, right? Uh, the, the virtue, the goal, which kind of formed, take shape as the goal or purpose of our sermon, um, is to give that encouragement to listen with a more childlike faith, rather than bringing all of our uh, sophisticated adult baggage presuppositions or uh, conditions we place on Jesus I will listen to your voice if and only if these things are met. Um, yeah, the gospel brings us back to uh, that simple childlike faith that listens to the voice of the shepherd. And the thing is with the, with the Pharisees, I mean, the preaching of the cross is, is a stumbling block. Implicitly, they were going to be opposed to any Christ who was not 
a conqueror of the Romans. I mean, just, it was in their being. Right. Caleb? To that point, too, that you just made before, Jim, and, and also, John, that, that if we understand the malady and the cure to be much more deep than just here's, you know, here's problem, Jesus fixes it type thing. But maybe even if, an, if another way to think about it, and if I understand you correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, is to point out a danger or a pitfall that can exist. And then maybe even the cure at times can be to identify a blessing that you have already had. Um, if, if that's maybe the case, then even the, the failure to, to listen to his voice as the world's voices are vying for my attention and, and even spiritual affection. Um, and if Jesus alone deserves that and, I, and it's easy to listen to those other voices, um, we, we can maybe in this text especially take a cue from Jesus who is tying his words and his works into one. Um, I and the Father are one. You don't believe, you don't believe, but he's you don't believe in, in these works that he's already done. And then he goes on to launch into these, these blessings that his sheep get from being under him as the good shepherd. But the, those words themselves do the same for us. And all of his words, what does he do except unveil his works, his redemptive work to, to blow out of the water, whatever, um, whatever other voices and the person or thing behind those voices, that those things could never be for us what only Jesus can. So maybe it's also a way to just say that these are not just words, but to tie to the theme of the day behind all of these words are, are they're laden with all of the works that God has done for you. And the, the floodgates are open, especially in the context of Easter, um, the life, the death, resurrection. It's not to, to say it in a variety of ways, of course. Great. Well, we've touched on uh, a lot of important points here already. Uh, the, the malady of the text talking about that, the cure in the voice of Jesus um, and the faith that he has already imparted to us, um, the virtue of, of turning back to him in faith and listening to his voice and being open to that voice when so many other voices are vying for our attention. Um, anything to add to that, the, the basic building blocks there of a sermon, um, or would you like to suggest maybe even a basic outline uh, with which you could uh, preach this text or use as a, a backbone for preaching the text, Jim. We haven't we haven't spent out too much time on on the, you know the second half. I'm, I think that if you if you want to explore what these people who listen to Jesus what they gain, then I think that there's so much interesting opportunity in verse twenty eight. To, um, to really take off on um, Apollontai and Arpazai, that he saves us from being destroyed utterly. He saves us by being coerced by force. And, and now you have a different malady. Now you have the malady of sin, which is, of course, the more basic malady. You can point out that that horror, you can you can you can put this into word pictures of Satan trying to snatch us, and then showing what Jesus offers. Um, so I, I think that they're very interesting and compelling things. And then when he talks about my Father, and I are one, and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
Now you address the malady of doubt or the malady of fear. And, and so there, there's, there's kind of a different malady in part two that these very distinct gospel themes are, are treating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the security then uh, through the strength of the father, the father's hand, the father's grip um, really speaks to those doubts and fears Yeah, that, that are in the background there in those latter verses. Jim? I used to, I remember when I was still making hospital calls many years ago, you'd walk down the hospital hallways and you'd kind of peek in the doors, you know, and you'd see people in horrible situations and you'd walk into the room of your patient and, and you know, instantly he was ready to hear or instantly. And, and you, I, would, I remember saying to them, just think what your life would be like right now if you didn't have a savior that you could rely on. And, and that's, what these, that's what these Jews ended up with, without any assurances, without any guarantees. And that's what everybody winds up with who refuses to listen to the Savior's voice with zilch. Right, right. Yeah, I did, didn't mean to give that short shrift, those last verses and those really powerful, vivid verbs that Jesus uses there. Um, maybe before we mention uh, suggested outlines, any, any comments, Caleb or Paul, to... Uh, the, the specific gospel emphases that are there and some of those beautiful promises that Jesus gives here, Paul? That one statement, I, I give them eternal life. So whatever some other voice says, you know, I, I, I think I can give you this. It, it's so small in comparison to what he gives. Um, and again, the revelation account, um, he will wipe every tear from their eyes that that this eternal life is 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 so loaded with blessings that it's uh again if if the if the the voice i hear from within me is if only this if only that and it tends to be some ultimately in the in the grand in the eternal scheme of things some trivial little thing that i think yeah you know the if the lord was really good he'd do this and Jesus kind of just blows that all out of the water with, I, I give them eternal life to my sheep. Uh, you know, there's no, there's, there's no comparison there other than the, the implied one, which doesn't, doesn't really stand very long. Jim? Yeah, the preacher has to be sure that he doesn't just promise heaven here. I mean, the, he's got a, he, he promises the whole life that instantly becomes ours through faith. Caleb? And then to connect that with what you were saying before, Jim, about the, the second half and all of the, there's a, if the malady is what you mentioned before, um, where there's potential ident- identifying of, of doubt and skepticism, um, that a person could revolve a sermon around that potentially too and tie into, this is what you don't have, kind of like the Jews, you don't have answers, you don't have faith, there's no eternal security, you have the, the two things you stressed, um, the, the perishing and being snatched from the father's hand, there's no security in that. Conversely, of course, then the cure is, this is what you also, this is what you do have through your shepherd um, who laid down his life for you, this, the shepherd's voice that you, that you listen to. It gives you eternal life. Um, he gives you answers, security. It could be a simple way of structuring, a, a, a possible way of structuring the whole sermon, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Um, and to that point, a structure for a sermon, um, 
potential outlines, theme parts uh, that you would like to suggest, even if they're in kind of rough form at this stage, um, like to share those. Uh, so maybe it'll spark an idea. Well, I, I started with uh, make this simple. Um, the theme that I think I'm going to use on Sunday is I am Jesus' little lamb. I don't know if I'll make that the hymn of the day, but we'll certainly sing it. Part one, I listen to his voice. And part two, I follow his lead. And of course, part two is going to emphasize when I follow his lead, they, they follow me. Then, of course, I'm going to take them into 28 and 29 and point out all of those blessings that they receive. Mm -hmm. so I think sure. I'll stick with that. I am Jesus' little lamb. I listen to his voice and I follow his lead. Yeah. Yeah. And the following the lead all the way to Revelation 7, right? And those blessings of eternal life that are there, right? Uh, Paul, did you have a suggestion for kind of where you were going with a, a basic theme? Um, I, I think a, a couple of these podcasts ago, we talked about how what you end up saying, this is what I'll preach on, is determined by the setting in which you serve. And uh, a number of those that will hear me preach on Sunday are are people who are old enough that they got lots of time to listen to the news, to watch the news, you know, the, the news that's on all the time and the voices that they hear, which uh, I, I, I feel, I feel awful for, I feel terrible for them that, the, that they have, that, that they constantly are hearing this, these distressing voices. It's one crisis after another. I suppose a younger person maybe picks some of that up on social media so just to re respond to that, um, a, a theme which is, uh, you can make an imperative or you could say this is why we listen to our shepherd's voice. Um, the, the first part, um, it's, it'll emphasize his works, but just using that comment that he makes at the end, I and the Father are one. So part one, he, his, he demonstrates or his works show that he and the Father are one. And two, he, he gives us eternal life. So maybe the, the part one would be on the works that he has accomplished and part two on the, the promises that we hear as we, as we listen to our shepherd's voice. Great, great. Caleb? Mine, my outline, um, rough, rough outline at this point is very much the same. Um, Kind of opening it up to say with this there's one voice that is worth listening to so the idea of incorporating the that he's worth listening to kind of opens up um an angle to talk about the pretense the, the question not just the question that jews have but the questions that we might have so that might be a lot about work uh, in part one the pretense or the presuppositions with which we approach our savior but the answer that he gives namely eternal life is far greater than than whatever we're approaching him with to begin with so then part two then would would be all about those blessings that follow. Um, since he gives eternal life, then, then here's all of the blessings. And I wonder, um, just kind of thinking sometimes, I don't know if this happens to any other preachers, but I, I find myself kind of going through textual analysis, outline stuff, and then I find myself just like, I'm kind of like pretend like I'm writing my sermon and I'm typing as fast as my thoughts are going. Whether or not they end up making it is a different issue, but um, I kind of as I got to thinking about that second part about the blessings and whether or not we can really just appeal to the 
and you referred to this earlier, Jim, the, the new man that exists by giving reasons why the shepherd's voice is so much better to follow. Um, you know, no matter what the concern is, he, there is something to say, you know, uh, the health concerns, the physical concerns. Well, this is what your shepherd tells you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Um, you're, you're worried about, about life and, and death. Well, he says he's given you eternal life. You can maybe even pull in some of these other uh, texts too. Um, when you're facing your own guilt and Acts 9, there's that beautiful phrase that Paul says, the, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Um, in, when you're worried about heaven, your future, um, you don't know what it holds. Um, there's that revelation, those, the, the text from the, the words from the revelation text, uh, never will they hunger, never will they thirst, the sun will not beat down on them. So just using God's, using the voice of the shepherd maybe as an opportunity, in addition to what's already um, there in 28 and 29 and 30. Jim? I, I, the second time around, I thought to myself, I'm going to try to match the stated theme and description a little bit more carefully. So I was looking, as I was looking to the quotations from the commentary on the proper, the one phrase that came to my mind was, um, he meant what he said, and he said what he meant. But then I wondered to myself if I really could quote Dr. Seuss in a... <laughs> sermon outline. So I came up with a faithful redeemer 100%. He meant what he said. In other words, everything Jesus said about himself is true. And he said what he meant. Everything Jesus promises will come true. But I don't think you could really use that. Shut it down. It's gold. Shut it down. This is gold. Yeah. As long as you don't use Dr. Seuss as your text, I think you can, yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's a step too far, but uh, meant what he said and said what he meant. But, uh, Paul, for well, the thought, Caleb was just saying what I, I think uh, every not just young preachers, but everyone needs to hear, and that is, you have the opportunity to actually say what he says. You get you get to say that. In other words, not just. You really ought to listen to him. Uh, well, go home and go home and open your Bible and, and and listen to some of those things. But to to say the good things that he has done, uh, and that he still does, wiping away every tear from our eyes. No more hunger. No more thirst. The the, the promises that are in part now and fulfilled then. So to it, this is to me a, a really cool opportunity. Whether it's just listen to this, and here's another one. Um, listen to this, here's another one, or this is why we listen to him. Here's another uh, 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 explicit gospel announcement that you can say and, and your people can hear. Um, maybe I'm just kind of, I'm putting my finger on, on errors that I, when I cringe and look at previous sermons where I would say, almost like you really ought to, but not really well. Mm -hmm. um, state the gospel as, as clearly as possible. Sure. Jim? John Jeske used to always tell us in homiletics class, don't tell them this is your motivation. Motivate them. <laughs> and I think here's an example of it. I mean, you just, this is what, those last three verses really is what makes Good Shepherd Sunday so beautiful, is, is those promises that he issues that tie into the other two selections for year A and B. And Caleb? 
I just think back to that example you gave before, Tim. Sometimes if you talk with somebody who's gone through some some tragedy, or they're on the, they're flat on their back in a hospital bed or hospice room, and they've said, um, if we haven't encouraged them to think it, I don't know where I would be. I don't know what I would do without these these promises of God. And so here you have a, people that are trying to get something out of Jesus. And so, yeah, invite our hearers to compare what the world, any other distracting voice is saying compared to our shepherd and go ahead and compare it. And, and where do we end up with them? We end up in a world that is always going to be, uh, have zero unity. It's quick, quick to cancel with zero concept of forgiveness. And look at what we have. We have a savior who is unified to his, just as he and the father are one and then brings us into the father's hold and nothing can take us from that where are we going to find something better than that um so there's all of these promises are just are just wonderful great any final thoughts uh before we close um if not uh thank you paul caleb jim for spending some time with this text and helping out preachers as they wrestle with it and then proclaim it to god's people thanks for joining us on the preachers podcast